We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Tonight we have a heavy study, you know, and I'll be honest with you, it's like it's going to start off really tough and, 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 and bad, kind of, but hang in there. Okay, hang in there uh, because God is, is so good and he's got such a neat lesson for us. And so, you know, in this chapter, we're going to cover the reigns of a couple of kings of Judah, um, primarily focusing on Manasseh. He was the son of Hezekiah. These are the 14th and 15th kings in the Davidic dynasty of Judah. And, and Manasseh, this guy right here, we're going to see, actually had the longest reign, think about that, of all the kings of Judah, but he was the worst king. He was the worst king of them all. And so we're going to see this probably uh, took place right around 698 B.C. to 643 B.C., just in case you're one of those people who likes the dates and stuff like that. 55 years, craziness, just absolute chaos. But um, look, look what we read here in, in verse 1, Second Chronicles 33. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old. <laughs> When he became king. Well, no wonder, huh? No wonder he's all messed up, man. Imagine being king at 12 years old. But anyways, uh, he's 12 years old and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the, all the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, I, again, I, I said he was 12, but to be honest with you, a lot of theologians believe that Manasseh was co-regent with his father Hezekiah for maybe 10 years. And so um, even though we read of him being 12, it's possible that his evil influence didn't really find its full force until his dad died. And then at the age of 22, um, this young man just led the nation of Israel, God's people, into absolute chaos. You know, it's interesting in looking at Manasseh. You know, another thing, and I don't know for sure, but um, uh, some people wonder how Hezekiah did in raising him. Now, we know Hezekiah was a good king, right? But when you read his story, he didn't really finish well. And so I, I think when you're going to look at the life of Manasseh, you're going to see that some seeds were planted, but you, you wonder about what happened at the end of the life of Hezekiah that perhaps maybe didn't really, you know, have a great influence on his son. And it's just a, it's a sobering thought for us as fathers. You know, I encourage you guys, spend time with your children and tell them about the Lord you know, and you do it, of course, in like structured Bible studies. But, you know, the Bible talks in De Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 that just as you're living life, you, you find those opportunities to teach your children, you know. I, I encourage you guys, really, really take those to heart. You know, and, and, and what we find is that, again, perhaps the problem with Manasseh is that his dad, even though his dad started well, he didn't really finish well. And that's a sobering thought. Today I uh, had lunch with a man who told me that he has been diagnosed with cancer. I guess that what happened was the cancer returned. Uh, they know he has it. They don't know where. 
And so he was telling us that, you know, he uh, he's not going to do chemotherapy. Um, he's just going to, you know, kind of let it take its course. And, you know, we were talking and I was asking him why, you know, why, why aren't you going to go with chemo? And he was talking about some personal convictions and things that he had. And he's actually a pastor of a church. And, you know, he's telling me about, you know, some of the things that God's laid on his heart. And, and I was just, and he's like, you know, he was strong. He's strong in facing death. But but I, I, I told him, I said, but but man, you know you know what you know what, keep fighting. And and if I were you, I would make sure that, you know, you don't just kinda like let it kinda loose at the end. You've got to finish well. I I told him, man, take care of that church and you pass the baton and you you finish with excellence and you know, it's just, I don't know, one day we're going to be there, you know, and I don't know for sure how it's all going to work for us, but man, it could be, you know, the final years or months or weeks or days or hours or minutes or moments, whatever that is, I want you guys to know that it makes a difference. You may start well. I also want to encourage you to finish well. I don't know about Hezekiah. All I know is that in his latter life, he had his only son, the last 15 years of his life, and it just so happened that Manasseh didn't do well. Of course, we know every child has to make their choice, right? Even sometimes kids grow up in the greatest settings. But let's do our best to influence them to follow Jesus Christ. And so, you know, uh, what we find in verse 2 right here, it says that Manasseh did evil according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, if you jump over to verse 9, it says Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And so, in one sense, he essentially undid all the good that his father had done in his early years. And so, look at some of the specifics. In verse 3, it says he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up altars for the Baals and made wooden images and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, and he caused his sons, this is so crazy, to, to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced soothsaying, he used witchcraft and sorcery, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And so we're going to go through like a list of, ah, they're, Crazy things that he did. In verse 3, it reveals that Manasseh built altars throughout the land. And that would be the places where people could sacrifice to all their idols. I mean, Hezekiah had broken them all down. Manasseh goes and he rebuilds all those idols. And they would sacrifice to the Baals. And, and then the wooden images. And that's a reference to that idol. And if you study... Canaanite history, you get it blow your mind with Asherah, Ashtoreth, uh, also known as that name, the female fertility goddess of the Canaanites, who is to believe, believe, believed to be the mother of Baal and mate of another idol named 
Baal. Um, a lot of people believe her, Asherah, this wooden image right here in verse 3, to be what Jeremiah referred to in chapter 7 and 44 as uh, the one that they called the Queen of Heaven. And so the, these are the things that, that Manasseh did. Um, this craziness right here is just insane. If you guys study the history of this, what you find is that the native religion of the Canaanites, it's centered on, on El, and that was the male creator, God, and his wife, Asherah. And so what you find was Baal, in their you know chronicles, was the son of their union, and he later replaced El as the chief male deity of the Canaanites. But what happened later, according to their religion, is, was an act of incest. Baal married his mother, Asherah, which is the one we're talking about right here, who was worshipped as a mother goddess and the chief female deity of Canaan. And as the mother goddess, Asherah was widely worshipped, throughout Palestine and Syria. You see it often in the scriptures and even in history. Inscriptions from two locations in southern Palestine suggest this, that she was also worshipped as the wife of the Hebrew god, Yahweh. Now, of course, we know this is not biblical, but this is where the likes of Manasseh led the people. I mean, it's just absolutely Crazy. We know the Bible says nothing positive about Asherah. And what we find is Yahweh commanded the destruction of all the idols representing Asherah. Nevertheless, the fact that Asherah was worshipped simultaneously as both the wife of Yahweh and the wife of uh, Baal and El in history, uh, it makes you wonder how bad this time of history was. You know, when you look at this, the cult, the prostitution, the orgies, the idolatry, the, the darkness, the demonic practices, I mean, really, I think what the chroniclers is going to say here is that this guy was about as bad as bad can be. And that's really the picture that he paints. Again, look there at verse 3 towards the end. It says that, that, and he made wooded images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and, and served them. You know, the gods of the heavens, represented in the pagan mind by the starry hosts, you know, and, and the Bible had clearly forbidden the worship of the stars. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19, the Lord said, Take heed that lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. Our God made all those stars. Our God made all those galaxies. You know, that's the God that you worship, but there's just something within us that oftentimes would drive us to worship things that he made. You know, I, I, sometimes people are deceived into thinking that the stars are the spirits or the lights are some lords or, and they worship the sun, the moon, or the hosts of heaven. And, and not only that, you guys, um, what about astrology? I don't know if you guys ever looked into that. Um, how many of you here were into that before you were saved, just out of curiosity? You know, how many of you are, are still into that right now? <laughs> you be careful. You know, I, I know some people, they call themselves Christians. They're still, they're still praying to Mar Mar Mary. This is Asherah. 
You know, I, I know some people, they, they call themselves Christians and they're still into astrology. And you guys sh should know this. We know this. This is huge in America. It really is. All this stuff that we're reading about right here is what's taking place in the city of Almani. And you guys know that, right? I mean, people look to the stars for guidance. They considered that both a science and a religion back in Manasseh's day. Not, not to be confused with astronomy. That's true scientific study of the stars, celestial objects in space. But astrology is a study of the movements and relative positions of celestial objects as a means for divining information about human affairs and events on earth in my life. And so... You know, I've, I haven't done this. I think it's in newspapers. I know you can go online. I did it. I just went to check it out, and I felt like dirty. I felt, oh, God, there's evil spirits here. You know, but I was just curious, like, what what's out there? And, you know, you can go online in a jiffy. You get your daily guidance from your horoscope, and then you... You click the link, it's just right there next to that. It takes you to your psychic readings. And then right there, it's just like another step right there. The tarot card readings, it's all there. This is where, this is where Manasseh had taken God's people. The, the common denominator over all these things is just that it's demonic. It's demonic. And I talk to guys, they come into my office, I talk to people who went down the street and they had their palm read. And they are oppressed, they are possessed by demons. And they're playing with fire. You guys, we have to be so careful. I mean, right here in looking at this, there's a, there's a warning, I, I think. But I, I think what God is trying to say is Manasseh was bad. <laughs> That's kind of what the Lord was saying. He worshipped Baal, Asherah, the stars, all the hosts of heaven. He built altars throughout all Judah, and, and he even did it in the house of the Lord. We read there in verse 4, he also built altars, altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven, notice, in the two courts of the house of the Lord. That was Solomon's temple. There was that outer court, and there was one just inside. I mean, altars for all the hosts of heaven. I mean, you guys know how it is. I mean, when it comes into your house, imagine if we did something like that in this sanctuary right here, and this is nothing compared to the temple of God, right? We read there again in verse 6 that he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. You know, and of course we know that this is in reference to the way that they would burn their children as human sacrifices to the God of Molech. And I was looking at some images online and I thought about showing you guys, but man, so ugly. So ugly, right? Like his grandfather Ahaz, he offered his own sons as human sacrifices in this valley and we see in our text that he practiced sorcery, which is seeking to gain power from evil spirits. He practiced divination, which is seeking to interpret the future through omens. He practiced witchcraft, which is seeking to control others through communication with evil spirits. 
all of which were commonly employed in other nations of the ancient Near East to discern the plan activities of their gods, Manasseh consulted mediums and spiritists, diviners, whose specialty was to seek to consult the dead. I mean, I, you guys know, we know this is crazy. This is bad. All these were the practices of the pagan nations that God had vomited out of the land before them. And here they are, supposedly God's people, engaged in the same evil, and it's just straight out demonic. And so, of course, we read there in verse 6, it says, He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to do what? To provoke him to anger. You know, and didn't stop there. Not only did Manasseh put altars in the courts, notice here in verse 7, he even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. So not just altars. We read about that earlier. Now there's idols. Now if you were God, if you were God, what would you do to Manasseh? I mean, you just say he's the worst. He's the worst king Judah ever had. He's the worst. I mean, this guy, we're painting a picture of, of him being just absolutely the worst. And, and you know, he just spit in God's face regarding God's promises. We read in verse 8, because God has said, I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. I mean, it's just a, a tragedy. You know, the one true living God, here we see, made a personal promise. Notice there again in verse 8, I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers. It was a promise. You got the land, you got the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, blessings from above, it's your destiny, it's my dream for you, it's so good. And no one can ever take it away. I mean, it's just my blessings on you, I promise you. I mean, it's just beautiful when you read that right there, right? But the thing about it, you guys, is that it was a conditional promise. It says they were supposed to be careful, again there in verse 8, if they are careful to, to do all that I've commanded them to do. And he goes on and he mentions the law of Moses, what we refer to as the Bible. Right, just to say, hey, you guys, I got a beautiful life for you. I got a beautiful life for you. No one's going to be able to move your foot. No one's going to be able to take you out of the land that I'm going to give to you, the land flowing with milk and honey. But you just have to do your part. In this case, it was a conditional promise to be blessed through obedience to the Bible. You know, and it's not that complicated, right? When you read the whole thing, but unfortunately, the people were not careful. They couldn't care less. And there's no fear of God. You know, and I pray, and just as a side note here, you guys, again, I think the main point right here is that we're just painting a picture of Manasseh. He was bad. 
Okay, I think that's what God really wants to do. He was bad. You guys believe this? I mean, he was bad, right? But of course, we have to take these things into consideration for our own life. Um, I encourage you guys to know that God has a, a life for you, a destiny. I know it sounds a little dramatic, you know, but a plan. Before he ever flung a star into the sky, thinking of you and, you know, hey, man, this is so good. I have for you. But we have our responsibility, right, to obey God's word. I was thinking of Deuteronomy 4, if you want to turn there real quick, because God had spoken to them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, look what Moses says as he's repeating the law to Israel. He says, Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. And that was when um, they had kind of messed up with the Moabites sexually, and God destroyed those guys. So he's saying, you guys have seen this stuff, right? And so he goes on in verse 4, But you, you held fast to the Lord your God, and you're alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, here's that word, be careful. Be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Notice this, for whatever reason we may call upon him. Isn't that cool? I mean, is this this a personal relationship with God? We can call upon him for any reason. He will listen to us. He's just saying, when you live the life, other people are going to see it. And it's a witness, right? He says there again in verse 9, though, but take heed. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. And then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire and you heard the sound of the words but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his commandment, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them or obey them, do them in the land which you cross over to possess. Take careful heed to yourselves for you saw no form from the Lord when you spoke at Horeb out of the midst of the fire 
lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his holy people, an inheritance as you are this day. You know, when I was reading that just today as a cross-reference, and I was thinking, wow, Lord, you know, this is, this is your heart. You know, it's a heart that wants to bless, but it's a heart that understands that the blessings are bound when you and I have a heart to obey, you see? And he's just talking about, like the Bible says, to walk circumspectly, to walk carefully, you guys. Because remember, back in Second Chronicles 33, it says in verse 2 that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, maybe you're here today and well, like no one sees. God sees. And so we have to, we have to live our life with that understanding, you guys. Why? Because he, he wants to bless. He really does. You know, what we find is that Manasseh was so responsible, you know, in, in so many ways. Look at verse 9, Second Chronicles 33. It says, So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And so, again, painting the picture, Manasseh's bad. Manasseh's a sinner. Manasseh is a seducer. He was the instrument used by the enemy to entice them to evil. And other translations use the word led or, or misled. And, you know, as, a, as another side note, you know, it's a huge lesson on the importance of leadership. What heavy accountability we have as leaders, you know, whether to influence for good or for evil. You know, even though, yeah, you're like, well, everyone has to make their own decision. That's the way it works, right? And that's true. But leaders have those God-given positions with greater accountability. And we need to take that to heart. Of course, there's also the lesson that we have as followers. Even if your leader goes off or if many go astray, it doesn't matter. I want to encourage you guys, follow the Lord. That's why you have to know the Word, right? That's why you have to know the Bible. The Bible says in Exodus 23, 2, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. And so if, even if everyone is, you got to make sure that you're not. Because this is what happened in Judah and, you know, looking at it, you might think, well, it's just a historical account the chronicler gives us. But um, I think there's more to it, you guys, because really what we find here is, is the message of the Bible. And we're going to see it as we go through here. Manasseh was bad. Look even at verse 10. It says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. You know, it's interesting because you know, the Lord had already spoken to them, right? Um, we read that in verse 8. He gave them the Bible, right? 
And so they had the Bible, and the truth is, if that's all they had, it would have been enough. But God spoke to them again, personally, and repeatedly, and the people ignored him, right? It says right there that they they would not listen. You know, and I know for me, I think for all of us here, there's always something that God is dealing with huh, in our life. And I'll tell you what, you guys, if you don't listen to the Lord, you're, you're not going to make it to the next step for one thing. And, and another, I think what ends up happening is if we don't listen to the Lord, we, we, go, we go the wrong way. We grow, we grow back. We get to be those Christians who are carnal and complainers and not really seeing the works of God, you know? I mean, we really have to listen. I was thinking of that scripture in Zechariah 7, 11. Speaking of a time like this, it says, They refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, stopped their ears, so that they could not hear. You know, I so said, I want to live my own life. I was talking to my son, because you guys know I'm working with him on driving and stuff. He's doing good. And anyways, you know, we, were, we saw a guy in another car, and he had the earphones on. You know, while he's driving in both ears. And I told him, don't do that. I said, I don't think that's legal, to be honest with you. Because if you got the, the earphones on and you're stuffed both in both ears, then you're not going to hear, like, for example, maybe sirens, warnings. You're not going to hear things that you need to hear. And I think sometimes Christians go through life like that. You know, uh, um, you know I got the Bible, you know, pray prayerfully, you're listening to the Word. But the Lord is speaking to you. You know, my pastor used to always ask me, what, what's God been saying to you? What's God been saying to you? And, and you can make something up if you want to. Oh, I better say something, man, because if I don't say anything, then I'm not a spiritual person. You're a liar then. Well, God hasn't been speaking to me. He said, why not? There's sin in your life. I think God is a personal God and we should all be able to say this is what what he's been what he's been talking to me about. These are things that he wants me to do. These are things that he doesn't want me to do. But how many are really truly listening? You know the Manasseh here, these guys, uh, they were not listening, right? And so, I don't know, he just paints the picture there I think of uh just Manasseh being bad, right? And, you know, maybe you're here and you're looking at this and you're like, man, well, that's, then it's over, right? Because he's the worst king ever. Uh, he's the greatest sinner and seducer of God's people, demonic, pagan altars in Israel. That place is supposed to be God's place. And he's a leader. Look what he's done to the people, leading them astray. Idols in the very house of God. He refuses to live for God. And to make it worse, he refuses to listen to God. So it's over for him, right? But look what we read in verse 11. It says, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he complained. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that, huh? He blamed. No. He implored the Lord, his God, and humbled himself himself. 
greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem. Wow. Into his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. I guess what I want to share with you guys tonight, just in case maybe you messed up, and, and I was thinking about this because this was a hard study for me. It really was. I just, I felt like the enemy was just after me all day long. And it's okay, you know, because God's on the throne. But um, I thought, Lord, there's probably somebody going to be there tonight who really needs to hear this message that it doesn't matter how bad you've been, you're not beyond the grace and the forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ. Because I would venture to say that you're probably not as bad as Manasseh was. As a matter of fact, if you read 2 Kings 21, that's a parallel passage to this. It talks about how he just killed a whole bunch of people, innocent people, just murdered them. And, I, and when I read this, I'm like, man, it just boom, he's so bad, he's so bad, he's so bad. And then the Lord says, but he's not beyond. He's not beyond the grace and the forgiveness and the life and the restoration that Jesus Christ has to offer. What happened, though, was it's very important to see that when God disciplined him, when God took him and they put hooks in his mouth and they carried him off to you know, Babylon, when God took him and disciplined him, he repented. He really did. I mean, there he was in verse 12 in his affliction, and, and he just implored the Lord his God. And he humbled himself, notice, greatly before the God of his fathers. And, and he prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, you know. I mean, it's interesting. You know, you can find among the historical books a book called The Prayer of Manasseh. You know, and I don't know for sure because it's not in the Bible. We don't know for sure if it's true or not. But man, it seems to make a lot of sense. And when you read Second Kings, it even talks about the prayer Manasseh prayed that it's it's that it's chronicled in history. And so when you read that historical book, it talks about uh, Manasseh giving glory to God as the God of their fathers and and their righteous Creator of the world. Uh, the God whose merciful promise is immeasurable. This is all within his prayer. And he pleads that God has promised forgiveness to those who have sinned and repented and that they might be saved, not unto the just as to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he says to me, the sinner that I am, for I have sinned above the number of the sands of the seas. And so he confesses his sin and he prays and he just asks God in this writing to forgive him. And he pleads that the Lord would not destroy him. And he concludes by saying, Thou art the God of those that repent. Therefore, I will praise thee forever. You know, and I wonder sometimes, because I think this is the difference, right? This is the difference between Saul and David, between uh, you know Judas and Peter between all of us, because at the end of the day, we're all bad. 
you know, you might not be as bad as me. I'll, I'll raise my hand and I'll say I'm the chief of all sinners because I know better and I got people praying for me and I still mess up. I'm bad. I know I am. But I'm not beyond. And so, you know, God, what he does is he sends a message of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins. You know, the other day we were going through Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, you know. And we were talking about just how the different things that we have uh, to, to, I don't know, take away, you know, stains or, or dirt. Like, what do you guys use on the windows? Windex, right? Most of the time. Or what do you use on your tires? Rubber, you use armor all. You know, what do you use on your on your wood? You know, you got your pledge or whatever, your lemon oil. Right? Those are things that are made specifically to take that take care of that stuff, right? But what do you use on your sins? It's the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus. It says in Isaiah one, come now and let us reason. Though our sins were as scarlet, they shall be as white. As snow. Scarlet, that's as bad as it gets. That's a Manasseh. But God says, it's okay. If you repent, if you come to me, if you believe in Christ, so simple, and you just pray, and you plead, and you humble yourself, and you implore your, your, to, to God, you plead to Him, then He promises to wash away all your sins. And, and, and you never know what God's going to do. It's, to me, it's amazing that for Manasseh, God would not only forgive him of his sins, but God would take him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom and he'd become king again. You know, God is able. He really is. But, but whatever you do, I just want to encourage you guys, if you are being disciplined by God, don't blame it on everybody else. Please. Because you're just going to mess yourself up. You have to raise your hand and you have to assume the responsibility and the part that you played so that God can bless your life. And that's really the, 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 the message, not only of Manasseh, I think it's the message of the Bible. Huh. I mean, probably the worst guy in the New Testament was Saul. And he ended up becoming the greatest guy in the New Testament other than Jesus. Right? I mean, here's a guy that was going in. He was killing people in the church. He was like almost like a terrorist. He was bad. Right? And it made it worse was he was a religious guy. But God raised him up. You know, when you read the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son who basically spits in his father's face and says, I wish you were dead. He goes and he does all this kind of stuff, crazy stuff. But what ends up happening is he comes to his senses. And he comes back to the father. And it ends up becoming not a story of the prodigal son. It ends up becoming a story of the forgiving father. That's what this is all about. This whole Bible is about that. About how good God is. About his grace. You know about like Romans 5.20. The Bible says, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounds, grace abounded much more. You know, it's so cool. And and I, I just pray that 
today we would know that. You know, don't let the enemy beat you up and condemn you. You just come to Christ real simple. You just tell him you love him. Tell him you're sorry. You mean it from your heart. You accept your responsibility. And then you accept the forgiveness that he has. You know, I read a story about an atheist. And he was debating with a Christian. And the atheist said, well, if there is a God, let him prove himself by striking me dead right now. (laughs) And nothing happened. And so the atheist said, see, I've proven there is no God. But the Christian responded, you haven't proven there is no God. You've only proven he's a gracious God. (laughs) And it's so true. I mean, if God were to give us what we deserve, how many of us would be dead right now? I know I would. Right? I'd be in hell right now. But he is a gracious God, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You know, Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, he called himself the chief of all sinners. And he said in 1 Timothy 1.16, However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. You know, and so you look at his life and the way that God forgave him, and let me ask you a question. Can God forgive you? Yeah. All these things that Saul did, God forgave him. God not only forgave him and brought him to this place of mercy, God gave him grace and lifted him up and used him, used his life. And God wants to do the same with us. I think with Manasseh, we have that 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 story. When it's genuine repentance, then God, he promises uh, to pardon and so he comes back to Jerusalem in verse 14. It says, And after this, he, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And it enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. And then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. And he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. What are you seeing right here? Repentance. I mean, first, it is in the heart. God, It is in the heart. God sees it. But it will always manifest itself in a changed life. And so now he, he goes back and, man, he, he, he starts doing things different. It says in verse 16, he also repaid the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but notice, only to the Lord their God. And I'm telling you this, and I pray that you would believe me. You can make a difference and influence people for good. Do you understand that? You can do this. We can be influences for good and evil, but when we start living for the Lord, it impacts lives. That's what they're doing here. I mean, you know, uh, verse 18 says, the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And also his prayer And how God received his entreaty and all his sin and trespass on the sites where he built high places and set up wooden images and carved images before 
he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of Hosei. And so Manasseh rested with his fathers. They buried him in his own house. And then his son Ammon reigned in his place. And so we learn from Manasseh heavy, heavy lessons, you know. But I think they're good for us. I pray you guys would know the power of repentance. And so Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. For Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord. So you see the difference? Manasseh humbled himself. Ammon didn't, right? And so when it's happening, it says, but Ammon trespassed more and more. And then his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. And Josiah is eight years old, and we're not going to go there, but I just thought that was cool. Eight years old, imagine that. And he becomes king, you know? But it was at the end of the day, God's the same, huh? God's the same. God's the, the, the saving God. The question is whether or not you and I will be a people who come to him and humble ourselves and just, um, you know, I, I think of the woman in John chapter 7. She came to Jesus and, and she didn't say a whole lot, man. She was just weeping and, and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And you come to the Lord like that, you guys. And, and he does a great and awesome work, you know. This, this whole message of forgiveness is it, just so awesome. You know, I read a story, and uh, you guys probably know about this story. It was October 2nd, 2006, where a man um, walked into an, an Amish schoolhouse armed with three guns. Uh, there were 26 students in the schoolhouse. He allowed the 15 boys and a pregnant female student and three other adult females to leave. But what he did was he held the remaining 15 girls captive. He tied their feet together and he deranged rationale for his actions that, you know, he wanted to exact revenge for something that had happened in his past. And so, you know, what we read in this story is that he, you know, the authorities were alerted. They sent around on the scene. And then after that, Roberts just started shooting. You guys remember that story? Probably a lot of you guys do. I mean, just killing a number of children and then at the end killing himself. And then later, uh, other children died from the injuries of the result of this. And so, in the face of the tragedy, you know, when, you, when you're when you there, think about it. If that was you, if that was your kids, those are your people, I mean, how would you feel? But if you guys remember the story, um, in an amazing Christ-like demonstration of forgiveness, the members of the Amish community they attended his funeral, they comforted his widow, and they didn't stop there. They actually offered financial support to his family. And, and one wonders, well, how can they do that? And the, the simple answer is, because that's the God that lives inside of them. Because that's what God has done for us. And I think that when we allow that to sink in, 
then that, that changes everything. We're, we're guilty. We're, we're bad. But we're not beyond the grace of God. And so you guys, you let that sink in. Let it change you. Let it set you free. Let that truth restore you. Let God encourage you. Because at the end of the day, that's where we have to be. we got to be a people who are gripped by grace. I really believe it's the grace that will make us holy. I really do. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.